One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daney. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members, and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. Hello, you're very welcome to another episode of The Big Interview. This time, our guest is Tim Sherwood, a Premier League winning captain with Blackburn Rovers, a championship winner with Portsmouth R8, also somebody I love listening to on radio and television because Tim tells it as it is. We're about to take you inside Blackburn Rovers in 1995, one of the most remarkable Premier League stories of them all. It'll be starring King Kenny Dalglish, Alan Shearer, but... Who needs him when we've got David Speedy? All will become clear. And a fair few midfield battles with some 90s legends. If you were a big fan of Manu Petit's coiffure and grooming, look away now. Here's Tim. Tim Sherwood. Thank you for joining the big interview. Everybody that listens already knows that I only speak to people who I admire. Success hasn't been enough to get them on this podcast. And amongst the many things that I admire about you is... Well, let me set the scene. September, something like 1974, I'm at Pataudry, Aberdeen Football Club. Our big ginger centre-half is so pissed off with our manager that he's been substituted. He whips his top off runs over the dugout, throws it in his face. A week later, he's playing for Spurs. But by the time you are regularly watching football at the club you support, Willie Young is centre-half for the team that you loved then. So I'd like you to start this interview by telling me two things. One, the feel and the smell of walking up towards Highbury, the stadium that is one of the most beautiful wars in the world, but it's gone now. So a lot of people listening... Never experienced that. And two, once you get in there in your North Bank, were you quite confident in Willie Young's ability or were you one of those who thought, yeah, we can, we can do better than big Willie Young? As a supporter? Yeah. I like Willie Young. I used to, I remember him uh, 
I think he's famously mooned, didn't he, to the to the uh, North Bank or, or the clock end once. That's a lot. I mean, Arsenal, Arsenal were a massive side, not a history, and Willie Young was part of that. You know, a, a, a smaller part as he as he as he possibly could be. Uh, but I just. I I remember a lot of players. When I'm a North London boy, you know, you either supported Tottenham or you supported Arsenal, and and I loved football, and I used to watch them both. I mean, I could tell you the history of Tottenham. I could tell you the history of Arsenal. You you, you supported Spurs, but you went and watched them both. I would I would watch. Uh, I just watched football. My dad was an Arsenal fan, you know, and uh, he still goes now. He goes to the Emirates to watch to watch Arsenal play, and you know. Unfortunately, he's obviously took the wrong path in life somewhere along the line, and unfortunately, I never followed him. <laughs> it was just because of the football. Not really. A lot was made of that because I played for Tottenham, and, and they always try and find a reason or, or where where was his allegiances. And mine was was always love of football. I love Liam Brady. I loved him. I loved Glenn Hoddle. You know, equally. You know, I just liked the the technicians that make the difference players and, and they were two. Well, in, in those midfields, you had Rex and Brady in, in that era you're talking about. Mm. And as well as Glenn, um, and I don't know when you started, but Ozzy was there, which it was two interviews ago for us. Yeah. World-class man, world-class chat. Yeah. Uh, World Cup winner. Uh, but Mickey Hazard too, which yeah. people forget yeah. how outstanding a footballer Mickey Hazard was. He was. I mean, they, they had so many good technicians. It was just a... Imprint when it was the DNA of Tottenham to have them types of midfield players, and you had to have them. Yes, they had the Steve Perrimans, you know, the push and run and the hard tackling organisers, but they had they had the likes of of Mickey Hazard um, and and obviously Glenn Hoddle, um, John Moncur. After that, a little bit later on, obviously Gascoigne was like the best and the best player I've ever played against in my life. Um, but the, I've got a lot of admiration for that, and they—they they had a typical way of playing. That was that was Tottenham's DNA, and and everyone realised that. Yeah, they got tarnished with this being a soft touch. You know, they never had enough tough guys, and and Jules Graham coming in obviously when I was there, yeah. and and tried to change all that mentality. But um, won no, a trophy. He did. You know, he did win a trophy, and and we we had the semi final with the FA Cup as well, uh, a couple of times, and beat got beat uh, by Arsenal. Uh, Old Trafford and then Newcastle at Old Trafford so yeah he was very close to winning another trophy as well I mean George was a winner George George knew how to win you know it's very similar to the man they got in there at the moment Tottenham you know they, they brought him in for a reason not to finish in the top four although that would be a priority for Daniel Levy this season I'm sure of that um, but to raise the profile of the club because he's a proven winner as George was when he was uh, down the road at Arsenal and um, ultimately take the club to another level. So haul it all back, because unless, like, you can't remember, it didn't make an impact on you like it did on me. Talk us through approaching hybrid, approaching the old White Hart Lane as a, as a kid or as a youngster. Mm. The sounds, the smells, the noise, the anticipation, what it cost to get in, why you were doing it, what it was like, whether it was North Bank or on a shelf, whatever. Bring that era I'm talking, must be talking middle to late 70s, are we? Yeah, I I was born in 69, so I would have uh, started going pretty much. I would have, wouldn't have been double figures, you know, I would have been five or six and my dad would have took me to whatever game we could have got a ticket for. 
just remember going there, you know, and the, and the crowds and everyone above you and your dad pulling you in different directions. And I remember once I was at Highbury and um, my dad still does it to this day. We have to go and watch the warm-ups. We watch the whole game and we do not leave until the final whistle goes. Never. Never. I mean, it, it's, he finds it he finds it extraordinary that people leave before the end of the game. He, he cannot fathom that out. And you got you always had the smells. You had the badges, didn't you? It's, it, it's very unusual for a kid to have a badge of, of Tottenham and a, and another one of Arsenal, you know. And then the Nottingham Forest one because I used to go up there a few times and because they obviously it was very successful at the time as well. And well, they were about to win history back to back European Cups, right? When, but even when Cluffy was there, they yeah. were a cup side, weren't they? Yeah. And it was always very good to watch. And I had a, my mum had a friend who was uh, a Nottingham Forest. Um, season ticket holder and he used to take me you know so I used to just want to go and watch football I just love it watch it on telly um, and if I could get to go to a live game I would always go When you were at the Arsenal was that woman who would come on Arsenal come on you gunners there was a woman who used to shout all the time She would have been she, I remember her when I played and she screams when the ball gets towards the opposition goal um, so whenever I played at, at Highbury always you know, knew we were going in the right direction if she was screaming. We are very lucky. We've got sponsors at Bet365. They've sent you three questions. I'll ask you one. If you could have one managerial job, you rule. I think about agents or chairman often. If you could have one managerial job, what would it be? Now? Yep. You know, I'm tempted to say take over from Pep, but, I mean, how can you do any better? Difficult one. You're normally going to pick a team which is underachieving so much. I would probably go and manage Manchester United now. That's a really good answer. Why did you choose them? Biggest club in the world, in my opinion. Obviously, I'm biased because I'm English. I think it's, it's an, such an underachieving job. A mm. difficult one, of course. Yeah. I'm not saying it's an easy job. But you, I would have belief that I could make some improvements and, uh, and send, them on the, uh, send them in the right direction. And if you do get going, you know, you, the, I mean, support and the worldwide um, support of Manchester United is second to none. Is that, is in general, in your life, because footballers and football managers are usually quite practical. Um, where will I win? How are the wages? Will we lift a trophy? But some people are swayed by allure. So, for example, a guy I know you watch a lot and think a lot about, Guardiola, and people listening to this know he, sorry City fans, he wanted to go to United. He was amazed that Edward Wood didn't make a big push for him in his second season at Bayern Munich. Yeah. Throughout his life, as much as he's a practical man, he would have watched Sexton's United and Greenwood's United and on from there through the Ferguson era. And... It was partly, like you said, I think he thought about revitalising or taking it on from my life. Also, he was really swayed by the history and the atmosphere and the passion and Old Trafford, where he'd played, which you've played at too. Is that part of your, your, your dream answer? Or is it simply like, it'd be a really good salary, I can do better there, and it'd be fun to work at the biggest club in the world? Because one's practical and one is romantic. No, it's the whole, the whole package. It's the history of the club. Um, the, the success what they've had over the years, the fan base is, is bigger than any. The history of bringing through younger kids as well and having that leeway to be able to do that. I always say at the moment, I, 
Ollie looks to me like, and I know it's a tough job, and no one's cracked it after Fergie, but he's looking like he's trying to develop the kids without having a good experienced pros around them and it's very to difficult to, that, to give them you up. can only be the kids can only be as good as their experienced players and their best players at the moment are possibly their younger kids <laughs> so he's ticking that box but he's trying to put decorations on a tree before he's got a tree mm. there's no foundation there mm. and he needs some foundation he needs a little bit of help um obviously with the recruitment um but Ultimately, he needs to find an identity at the club again because they've lost their identity over recent years. How do they play? It's difficult for me to say to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I can go and scout for you because I don't know how he wants to play. So if you had, a, if you had an idea of that, and I think Manchester United have to have one way of playing and everyone worries about them. Uh, and I think they've come away from that and they seem to be worried about how to stop the opposition rather than impose themselves on the opposition. Well, I was going to, and I'll come back, I was going to ask you about you now, but you, I can't avoid the temptation you give me because one of the other things that I've always admired about you is your eye for a footballer, your understanding, you're ahead of the curve, you're either harder working or quicker to see, doesn't matter which it is. But you used a phrase there about you couldn't skip for Ollie because you don't see the way he wants to play but you can only play, if you're a young manager like that, a relatively inexperienced manager, a certain way if the club gives you the right resources. And mm. at the moment, again, I'm sorry to be rude on tape for anybody that's suffering, but whatever Ed Woodward's good at, he's got no clear strategy, he's got no clear knowledge, he's just chasing the, the honeypot every time yeah. and, and your, your nose and your hands get sticky. And he, he shouldn't be doing that job. And there are very few people in positions of influence... In England, in my opinion, whether it be ex-players, ex-managers, current in the industry, journalists who are, who are loudly saying that mm. for whatever reason, self-interest, or they don't want to put their head above the parrot. But, but you have to tell the truth in football. Mm. That is their principal problem. Yeah, I think Ed Woodward would admit himself he needs help in, in that department. I think it's a strength um, to go and find expertise in, in certainly player recruitment because that's going to help him out long term. It's going to help out the manager if it's Ollie for the long term or wherever it is. You know, at the moment, they seem to have a scattergun approach regarding their, their scouting, um, who's available. Um, whereas years ago, and I still believe it's still a big pool, Manchester United Football Club, but there would have been a queue around the block for anyone to go there. And, and whether it, this club, Club A is another club and they will pay you more but Club B is Manchester United, and you're not going to get caught or less of the wages. You're going to go to Man United still because it's the pool of playing for Man United. If you're our age. But, but it's different now. If you're a 20-year-old Brazilian, to, that isn't going to be yeah, true anymore. But I think they need to get back to that, and I still think it's a huge it's a huge pool. And I think Ed Woodward, he commercially is out of sight, um, but he's a, he's, he's a commercial manager yeah. of Manchester United, so it wouldn't be the hardest job in the world. But what I'm saying is I think he should bite the bullet, go and get some help and get some recruitment people, football people into that football club who haven't got a hidden agenda. That's a nice phrase and that needed saying too. Mm. That needed saying. Because this is the big interview, I get to decide how we flit around like a butterfly. So it's back to Tim Sherwood, the player. You once used a phrase and I'd like to understand it a little bit more because then everybody listening, whether they saw you or they didn't see you in midfield, will understand you a little bit better. You talk about Dave Williams at Norwich, talking, and you talked about a penny-dropping moment when Dave Williams said, what are we going to see today, what Tim Sherwood can do for Tim Sherwood or what he can do for the team? 
you reckoned then that he was right and you were playing for yourself. Describe that, Tim Sherwood, what Williams was trying to get through to you and, and why things changed or had to change. Yeah, I was. Uh, I left Watford. I, I played at Watford where I was an apprentice. So um, I've been there full-time since I was 16 years of age. There was a lot of different turnarounds in managers then and um, I remember playing a lot of games in quick succession there and then all of a sudden I get an opportunity to go to Norwich. When I went to Norwich, it was completely different. The way we played, we were very much direct at Watford, getting the ball back to front very quickly. It was an old Graham Taylor way of playing. He debuted beating Chelsea and managed to sit in a space of two games. Yeah. It was a winning side, playing with Johnny Barnes. It was, yeah. as much as it was long, there was a lot of quality there. Quality. I mean, uh, they, they'd finished second in, in the old championship, which is the Premier League back then. So, yeah, there was, but it was a different way of playing. When I went to Norwich, and they were a tippy-tappy side, you know, it was, it was sophisticated, and, and Williams was one of the coaches. Mm. And he was a good coach, but he was still a good player. So when I was trying to get fit and get used to the, the way they were playing, he, I played with him in midfield in the reserve games. And he was still excellent. He was like a Welsh international, but he was technically a gifted player. And I remember I'd been there a month and I, thought, I was playing in the first team. And I was thinking, how is Dave Stringer, the manager, playing me in front of these guys? Because in training, I couldn't touch the ball. It was just going round me. Um, but obviously games are not like training and, and uh, I was feeling my feet and I started to score a lot of goals and I started to score goals by pretty much relinquishing my defensive duties and playing off the front and I was effective and it was almost, I was undroppable at one stage and I was scoring enough goals from midfield and getting the headlines on the back of the paper other teams started showing a lot of interest because with respect to Norwich, I didn't want to stay there for the rest of my career because I wanted to go to a bigger club. And that is what Dave was talking about. He identified it as I would identify in a younger player. I was playing for myself, for my future and not for the team. There was a lot of things I could have done better for the team, but it was self-indulgence. It was about me trying to uh, improve me and to make other people look at me and hopefully twist their arm to come and take me to a higher level. Were you already quite clear about that in your head, or or is that retrospectively you realise that? It worked for me. (laughs) But it probably, I mean, I know now it wasn't the best thing for Norwich at the time. Not that it mattered uh, where we finished in the league, because we were pretty much, uh, I mean, they, they, they they were pretty good. I mean, they were pushing. I remember when I did eventually go to Blackburn, we, they were top of the league and we were second. And we beat them 7-1 at Ewood Park and I scored a goal. And it was almost like, I think I made the right decision here. You know, and it was a, it was a sliding doors moment for me to go there. But I, I, I admire that and I always remember and I always tell the young kids who, who I've, when I was doing the development phase, certainly mm. at Tottenham, I always remember that quote and I always um, tell them that I've been there and the, and the penny did drop and, I, and thankfully it did. But you only learn... When you get the experiences of life, and, and certainly Dave Williams gave me a shock to the system just by that little quote. When you were scoring those goals, did you have what they call in Spain, llegada, llegadas to arrive, and it's somebody who arrives in and around the box with what appears to be outstanding timing. Mm. To the amateur eye, you're like, mm. God, he's got some internal GPS. And we asked Gus Poyet about this because he had that. Yeah. When we were growing up, maybe David Platt was famous for, okay, he could strike the ball, but seeming to just 
arrive in and around in space or mm. run when somebody wouldn't go with you. Did you have that? I think I did at a time. I had good anticipation, um, good knowledge of, I believe, of players. So I would know, if, I've trained every day with my teammates, so I would know if someone's got the ball on the right side of the box, there's a good chance they might scuff it to the back post rather than drive it in the near post. So you be there and you take the gamble. And, you, and I, think the, I think the most dramatic player of that is Frank Lampard. I mean, Frank's anticipation and knowledge of, of others and where that ball might land is, is better than anyone's. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I had it. And I played different roles. But um, I used to like, I used to enjoy that. Obviously, everyone wants to score goals and, and, and not necessarily want to do the shit things in the game. You know? mm-hmm. But unfortunately, when you, you learn that it has to be done and you have to do it for the team. But I learned that a little bit later on in my career. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm velour xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. One of the things that must have affected you talked about Blackburn must have affected what happened to you is really early on at Norwich you play Liverpool twice in quite a short succession 
and each time it's nil-nil. And the manager's Kenny Dalglish. Do you remember either of those games? And when you subsequently start working for Kenny, who I'm going to ask you a lot about, did he ever tell you if he noticed you in them games or if it was subsequent games? Those two nil-nils were way back in, what, 89, 90, when you're still mm. quite, a young, quite a young player, quite an experienced player. And they look like, from this distance, as good as Norwich were then, pretty big results. Mm. Do you remember them? Do you remember the challenge of playing Liverpool uh, under Kenny? I remember a game when, um, I think we, we beat Liverpool 2-0 in one game. I think it might be. I, I don't know that my mind plays tricks on me. Like, so. But I, I, I do remember, obviously, a big game. Because I'm grown up with that Liverpool side and when you used to travel to Anfield and you pull up on the bus and the crowd never used to give you the two fingers or the one finger, they used to just give you five. And on the other hand was a zero and you used to, and then just shaking your head. And I used to like look out the window and just say, yeah, we'll take that. I was going to say, that wouldn't have put you off too much. They, that's what they used to do. They just shake their head as you're pulling in and just like give you four Four nil or five nil, and you used to, we used to look at each other and say, "We we'll take that, yeah. <laughs> get out of there." <laughs> You'd have been up against Ronnie Whelan, yeah, Steve McMahon, against your ex-teammate Johnny Barnes. These are the two nil nils when Dave Stringer's still picking you ahead of everybody else. And you know those those games must have influenced Kenny when he think when he thinks, "Okay, how am I going to build a title-winning team at Blackburn?" I'm absolutely certain about it. Mm. A couple of interviews ago, we sat down with Charlie Adam. And Charlie told us about the, the process of being signed for Liverpool by Kenny Dalglish. Um, because I think Kenny phones him up and says, right, we'll have a chat about this, come round to my house. And he pitches up and Kenny's in his pyjamas on the couch watching golf and says, listen, kitchen's in there, make me a cup of tea, toast in the, in the, you know, in the bread bin or whatever. And Charlie's like, I'm talking to the all-time legend of Scottish football. He's sitting there in his pyjamas and his dressing room, feet up watching the golf and I'm making tea in his... Was that anything like your introduction to Kenny Dalglish? I remember um, went to speak to what's it, Arthur Cox. He was manager of Derby. Derby County, yeah. I went up there with my agent at the time. It was Eric Hall, Monster Monster. Monster Monster. Monster. Now, Eric was great. I used to love Eric because he was just, he entertained me. You know, he was, he was good entertainment. And, and back then it was just when the, the club started paying agents and, so I didn't have to pay him anyway, so I thought I'd keep him on tow and he'd let him get a... For him, yeah, everyone's got to eat. He's about Danny DeVito size, shaven black hair, a cigar that's bigger than his head, yeah. larger than life in terms of noise. He'd come from rock and roll. I think he'd come from yeah. the music business. He worked with like Elton John, didn't he, and, and all them guys. I think he worked with, I think, EMI Records with, with Elton when they used to stack shelves together and obviously they all, they went, they went in different directions, you know, and... Uh, Eric's still about now. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's still about now. But I remember him taking me to uh, to Derby to meet Arthur. And I said to Arthur, I shook his hand and said I would join Derby. On the train on the way back, Kenny Dalgleish rings Eric. And I knew he was talking to someone. I didn't know who it was. And then he passed the phone over to me. And Kenny then started giving me the sales pitch on, um, on, on Blackburn. What was the pitch? It was... We're going to build something here. You know, I wouldn't be coming unless it was something exciting. Um, and obviously, it's Kenny Dalglish. I mean, I've seen him twist up them uh, them Arsenal and Tottenham defences down the years. You know, and you know, a legend of a player he was, and but would that uh, and a winner you? of a man. It would, it would, because I was in awe of people like that. If they've been a player, and then you go to the club, and then you judge, you start judging them as a coach. 
and as a manager. But initially, it opens your eyes and you do get influenced. And he, he, he no bullshit, Kenny. I mean, he's a straight talker. I mean, everyone knows that. You know, he's a he's very intelligent guy and no one pulls a wall over his eyes. And he just gave it to me straight. And I said to him, I've got a problem because I've told Arthur I'm going to join Derby. So he said, well, we want you here. Have a little think about it. If you want to come to us, then we'll see you tomorrow. So it was as simple as that. When he that. said a little think, he yeah. wasn't saying no, so take we a said, week. Yeah, but he, he obviously, it was, a, it was a thing where he didn't... He, now, Kenny's like, it wasn't about go and talk to your family, go and see you there, see where you want to live. It wasn't about that. Kenny just thinks, we're Blackburn. I'm here as a manager. We're building something. We're better than Derby, who's your other option. So what have you got to think about? Basically, that is what he's saying. That's how he saying thinks. It. That's definitely how he so thinks. So he's thinking that it's all about the football. It's not about your life. It's not about if you want to go and live up north in Blackburn or you would rather go to, to Derby. It's not about that. It's about what we're going to do on the pitch because that should be your life. You have to be married to the game, in his opinion. And he was right. So I put the phone down on him and I said to Eric, what am I going to do? So he said, um, what do you want to do? I said, I'm going to Blackburn. I said, but how are we going to tell Arthur? All of a sudden, the phone rings. Arthur speaks to me, says, you had the big man on the phone. I said, who? He said, Kenny, the king. I said, yeah. I don't know how he knew. And whether Kenny's probably rung him and just said, listen, he's probably done the gentleman thing and said, look, I know you've spoken to him, but we have as well. So he said to me, if I'm your son and I want to guide you like my son, I will tell you to sign for Blackburn because that's, that's... that is going to be a different level of club to where we are. And why it was such a sliding doors moment is the fact that we played Derby in the semi-final of the playoffs to get into the Premier League and that we knocked them out and beat Leicester in the final. So it could have gone such a different direction. Even before the pitch and the playoffs proved that you made the right decision. Tell me I'm not wrong. and I know I'm not wrong and you're an honest guy. People don't think or speak like that in football very often. You talked about playing for yourself because there was a purpose and it's natural. But in football everything's really just about themselves. The people who do what Arthur Cox did to you are in a very small percentage. Am I right or am I wrong? No, absolutely. I think more then. Now it's completely changed. Yeah, I think everyone's out for themselves. So I think back in that day then, I think people more... They're more like that. More up front. And I think that that is... When I, in the end, when... And Kenny was that type of man as well, even with his management style... And I think I learned that when I went into management, I was very upfront with the players. I mean, I, if they wanted to talk to me about why they weren't playing, I wouldn't sell them a story. I wouldn't make up. Basically, you're picking a team to win a football match, and the one in front of you is better. It's better. So first times with Kenny. Then once you make the decision, his manner. First of all, I mean, this is not. Do you understand everything? It's, it was difficult at first. I mean, you have to be in front of him to understand. And he's such, you know, he's dry. Dry. He's dry and quick-witted. You know, he's got that. It's got that humour and um, we, we clicked straight away. <clears throat> Even though when I went there, I was carrying a hernia and uh, I was terrible. No good, no good whatsoever. And I remember him backing me in the press and um, he said to, they asked him why that he had signed me and he said, I've signed him to play in the Premier League. He said, because when we signed him in the Premier League and he gets better players around him, then he'll be the player that I've signed. Good eye. Great eye. Similar, I feel, and a lot of people are reminding me, is he took Jordan Henderson to Liverpool. It took, it took me a couple of seasons to understand. I, have to, I also think Jordan has improved. Mm. His distribution, 
wasn't as good as his other skills, I swear. But it's, it's thick. I think he has developed, but I didn't understand at first. Mm. I have to admit. But I just think that you've got to understand that when you're building a side to win a title, you, you're not all going to be superstars. No. It's a jigsaw, and, and certain qualities are what Henderson had, similar to what I, I... He can make people better without him playing well himself because he's got a personality. Mm-hmm. And I think it's even harder now for like Sir Jordan Henderson because he's dealing with a lot of foreign... Mm-hmm. players who are coming in and they don't know how to take straight talking mm-hmm. but I think that he's introduced that along with James Milner into their another guest on this James is but James is different class mm. like a complete dedication to being the best to winning okay funny too bright mind speaking to his kids in Spanish you know witty, but passionate about football passionate mm. about winning brilliant like standards yeah. every day every hour of yeah. every day standards well, that, that's not the norm. When I was coaching at Tottenham, I was in the gym once, and I, and I won't name the players, but there was three players standing around the uh, bikes and treadmill messing around or whatever they were doing. They kept talking about busy this and, oh, busy this and busy that. And, and I said, who are you talking about? And they said, James Milner. I said, what do you mean? Why is he busy? He said, oh, after training in England, he's like taking, like, takes a sack of balls out there and he's, uh, I said, why is he busy? So they said, uh, well, he's just doing it because he wants... I said, no, he's doing it because he wants to be the best. I said, he's doing it because he wants to be busy playing when he's 45 and you've not working anymore. And I said, that's why he's doing it. I said, there's nothing to do with him trying to be the teacher's pet or whatever. He wants to be the best, but he, he wouldn't be worried. James wouldn't be phased at that. He knew he knows he's doing the right thing. He ain't worried about them. Because well, why are they've, they've, some of them have retired now He's still playing, he's still going strong, and he's going to pick up another Premier League title. So who's laughing? <clears throat> so people will have forgotten that when you get King Kenny and, and the thought of King Kenny persuading Eric Monsterhall or even sharing a phone call, two more different people, I cannot possibly imagine. Mm. But you do what you have to do to get your, your captain and your leader. People who don't remember will, will have forgotten that you were taking a risk because Blackburn maybe are building, but they're still to go up, don't they? Yeah. I was um, a step down in leagues, um, but I was confident in the... Um, it's like you talked about arriving in the box. Risk, you take a risk. Yeah, but I knew I knew he weren't telling me lies. You know, some people can tell you, you know, you can sign a player and you're going to, we're going to sign this one, that one. And and you know they're, they're selling your story. I knew from Kenny it wasn't a story. I knew that he was built... Because he'd gone there himself. I mean, he's put himself on offer by leaving... You know, he's managed the biggest clubs in the world. David Speedy. Hat trick in the playoff semi. Derby was it? Derby was it? He scored in the final. He scored in the, in final. the penalty. Yeah, he dived. Uh, I think he dived uh, to earn the penalty in the final. And he he would be first to admit that he was cruelly taken down. Then, for the benefit of our listeners, I'd like to know a little bit about David Speedy and playing with him, but also about a guy who I thought at Villa was top class. He's called Sid by everybody. His real name's Gordon Cowens. Can you paint a picture of either of those two guys and working with them or playing with them? I stayed in the hotel up there. It's called the Duncan House, and they stayed in there. In the, and I didn't realise it was possible to drink as much on Thursdays and Fridays before playing on the Saturdays. And we used to come in on a Friday and play a five-a-side. And it was such an intense five-a-side. Kenny played. He was the best player. But Kenny would pick his team against the rest and it was so intense it was a it was a kick fest I mean it was it was so rough and tumble 
And Kenny knew if they were drinking, or any of us. He knew. I mean, he just he knows he knows all the tricks. He knows people to when we're training, we're out on the training field, whoever's standing downwind of him, you know, is <laughs> it, a good chance you're trying to hide something. And he used to call Gordon. Gordon sucking mints, Cowan. <laughs> so it was quite obvious to me that uh, I said, he's on to you. Because he's like, no, why, well, why wouldn't he be? I said, he's on to you. I'm telling you, he ain't silly. So he, he knows. Anyway, but these performances, Gordon was the fittest guy ever. One pace, yes, right? But technically, the friend of the football, um, the range of passing he had, the... The leadership qualities by not talking, you know, and us just looking at him and knowing how gifted he was. And a winner, won the European Cup. I think it was because of that, the history of what, what he's done. But his application, yes, he had liked a good time. And yes, he liked it a pint like we all did. But when it comes time to work, he worked and he worked hard and he would never be. He knew if he'd been out on the Thursday or whenever he'd been out or whenever, he knew he had to be at the front. And he was always at the front. And he was always working harder than everyone else. And he was a great one to follow. And all the boys followed him. And uh, Speedy was completely different. He was his own man. He would smash anyone in training. And and that's what made him such a good player. I've never seen a player win so many games for us. I remember there was a banner. When I first went there, there was a banner saying, "Why we don't need Shearer, we've got Speedy. Yeah. And Speedo used to say, oh, I had that when I come in here from Simon Garner. He said, so they always had this striker. So Simon Garner was a legend up there, and he's still around when I went there. And then Speedy come in. So he said, I've been through this. And then when Shearer come in, it's almost like, we don't need Shearer, where's Speedy? You know, and it, but his goals he scored with his head. Mm. You know, he's to come across people. And, and when you look at the mess of the defenders after, he's just a, he used to jump and elbow them in the... You know, just, so it was, but it was fearless, but it was also a, a, a raw aggression that you aren't allowed today at all. Yeah. But it was totally fearless. But I always thought as well, because he, he wasn't big. No. His sense of timing, both in the leap, but when to make those runs, yeah. when he might catch somebody out. Like you said, maybe it was partly because he knew about the delivery, but yeah. he seemed to have just an absolute, I don't care what it costs, I'll get to that first, mm. which but I can't th- think of anybody who plays It takes way. you by surprise, so he come really quick and really late with his headers. Like the defender thinks he's already heading it, and then all of a sudden something comes across the face of him and he's just glancing it in. I mean, he was just, he was incredible. I mean, he's a massive part of the promotion push. Mm. Massive. I mean, he was, he was integral, almost as integral as Shearer was when we won the Premier League. I mean, he was incredible what he contributed to that. Do footballers like Speedy? Not just him. When you're in a dressing room, when you're on a team bus going to a difficult ground, <clears throat> do they make you think differently about the prospect ahead? Do, do they make you think, well, whether he's having a good day next to me or whether I'm on a, you know, hernia's playing up or I've had a bad night or whatever it is, Speedy will do something or Speedy will win us. Does that change your mentality? That trust thing about like, yeah, we've got, an, we've got a pirate in our team, we've got a bat. It does, yeah, because you know, you know the opposition are thinking that way as well. And then when they're lined up in the tunnel against you, looking across, they're like thinking, oh, they've got some armoury here. <laughs> you know, they've, got some, they've got players. And we, we, that grew at Blackburn. I think we, uh, obviously we finished fourth and then second and we won the league. So that, 
fear factor for the opposition grew. Uh, and they started looking at all of us like that, you know, and uh, it's a good feeling to have because I've done that down the years and lined up against that Liverpool side or that Man United side, you know, and, and when it come a little bit later on. Who did you find in the game you could put off the game with, I don't know, a nasty tackle, a snarl? Who were in, Who did you think, either this team or this, I don't care if you do or name the person, yeah. but who did you know? No, Emmanuel Petit. Um, now you surprised me. Obviously, I knew, I knew the history of this derby, um, Arsenal Tottenham because this, I knew nothing else you'd like, lived it yeah and I couldn't have kissing and cuddling in the tunnel before the game and they and even when they show it on the big screen you know and you're seeing like and they're all talking to each other they're all French internationals uh, and I just used to wind me up they were better than us um, in that time at Tottenham so I used to say to the boys we need to find an edge so I used to start from the moment we walk out of the dressing room and I used to abuse him like you wouldn't believe like I'm going to do this to you I'm going to do that and I used to say the same to Patrick and Patrick used just to look forward and as if I wasn't even there and he don't, I don't even exist in his life but Emmanuel could not help but respond and I knew I said you're a good listener I knew I, I, I knew I, I knew I had him and I knew he was I was taking him off his game because he was a top player that's Hot. why I said I was surprised because he wasn't a chicken. Um, he could really use mm. the ball. At his best, he was a decent athlete to maybe not super quick, but he got up and down mm. and he seemed to like English football. So yeah. you caught me a, out with that one. He was a monster. When he went to, I, he continued when he went to Chelsea. When he, I remember we played him. Tottenham Chelsea is another good derby mm. as well. So we were, we were at White Hart Lane and um, I remember he comes into a tackle with me and I'm a little bit more experienced in him and he he flies in and I just go a little bit higher but I know I stay on my feet and the referee invariably when you stay on your feet they miss everything they think it's all about oh he's left the floor that must be a foul so he's flew in on me and I've crunched him like probably gonna do him some damage and he's rolling around on the floor and I get the free kick so he's getting treatment he's lying on the floor and I'm going up to him, just reassuring him, and I'm whispering stuff in his ear, and I say, you're going to get more of this, you're going to... And I pulled out his toggle with his hair. So I pulled out the ponytail, and I threw it into the West Stand at Tottenham. So his hair is now... he look, Now he's got a lion's mane, and his head is going to explode. So... All of a sudden, the ankle got better. I don't remember the game, but this is definitely going to be cards. He's jumped and... up. He's jumped up off the bat, and he is physically crying. He is, he's gone to Janola, and he's saying in English, so I can hear, he said, David, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> and that, was, that, that was victory for me. Oh, you're not kidding. That was victory. But I, after the game, I would go and... Straight, oh, yeah, it's off right now. Straight, like to, straight to shake his hand. <laughs> you doubled up, where are you? Like, oh, the best mate. Yeah. Yeah. But Patrick would. I mean, uh, we nah, had so different many, species, but different. different Just didn't even, didn't even acknowledge it. And I've got so many holes on my shins because of him. Do you know? Yeah. And but I've, yeah, I, he's probably ahead. Thank you. For listening to the big interview, it's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. 
Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.